0: All right, as the kids make their way out, I'll do like Josh did today. He said, and he sat down for Sunday school and says, I am not Roger. I'm not Pastor Kurt, once again. Of course, I believe they're flying back today, is what I remember, right? So they'll be back next week, and we'll be glad that they had a good time on their vacation, but we'll be glad to have them back, too. all right, so last week, uh, if you were here last week, if you weren't, that's fine, no big deal. This is not like a continuation of last week's message, but the subject is similar. Last week I talked about uh, King David and his best friend Jonathan and the relationship they had. Um, of course, Jonathan was killed uh, in battle with, along with his, with, his, uh, with his father, King Saul, uh, which opened it up for David to become king. And so this is like the next phase in David's life, where he is king, and there's a new person who comes in, and is very um, entwined, I guess, in the story of David. Um, we'll find this all this. I told Josh today. I, I says I'm going to go through the whole second book of Sam, book of Second Samuel, and we're going to do it in like a half an hour. Or so. We're going to be, we're, you're going to have to listen fast. I'm going to talk fast, but I'm not covering everything. I'm just I'm just talking about the things about Joab today. So um, we'll start in 2 Samuel, uh, verse 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Samuel 2, 1, where we we'll start. It says, After this David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. And in verse 7, it says, now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So, at this point, uh, like I said, David is is a survivor. Uh, Saul and Jonathan and two of Jonathan's brothers are are have been killed in battle. So David is now taking position of king in Judah, as Judah is only one of the tribes of the twelve of of Israel. So that is the tribe that David's family from, so naturally they were going to make him their king, because he had already been anointed, remember, uh, years earlier, uh, to replace Saul. Um, so, and while he's there in Hebron, which is in the area of Judah, uh, he holds this position for seven and a half years, and for the rest of the tribes of Israel, the other eleven, there was another king who replaced Saul. And that's uh, 2 Samuel 2.8 says, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took is- Isposheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanahim. Mahan- now, I could say that earlier today. i practiced it several times. Man- Mahanim. And in verse 9 it says, And he made him king over Gilead and Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. So David is king in Judah. And Isbosheth is king over the rest of Israel. Uh, Isbosheth, of course, like I said, is, is Saul's son, the one who survived. And Abner is the commander of the army in Israel under the reign of Ishbosheth. And Joab is the acting leader of David's army. And Joab would later be officially put into this position when uh, Jerusalem was defeated and conquered by David. And we find... Evidence of that in First Chronicles eleven six it says David said whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander and Joab the son of Zeruiah went up first so he became chief uh, Jerusalem was at the time called Jebus it was occupied and that's where the Jebusites lived uh, when when David went up and said uh, hey uh, Jebusites we're going to take this city because God says we can. And Jebusites said, come on in and try. And so David did, and they pretty much wiped out the Jebusites, and uh, that became the city of David, uh, the capital of uh, Israel, Jerusalem. Still is today. Um, Now Joab, who was the one who first went in to attack the Jebusites, Joab was one of the sons of Zeruah. Zeruah was David's sister. This made David's nephew as Joab. Joab was David's nephew. When David became king, he was 30 years old, and since he was the youngest of all his brothers, remember when when Samuel was going to anoint uh, the, n- the next king, um, he brought the sons of Jesse out and started at the oldest and went down to the youngest. Still didn't find him. Well, there's one more out in the field, so he brought David in, and yep, this is the one. He's the youngest one, uh, so he was the youngest of all his brothers, uh, which I would... I would conclude that since he was the youngest of all his brothers, he's probably younger than his sister, Zeruah, as well. And so I would think, just just by me taking a guess, I guess, here, uh, I would say that Joab is probably no more than 10 years younger than David. Uh, Because if David's going to be the king at 30 years of age, I don't think Joab is probably going to be looked upon being less than twenty to be the leader of the army, I just don't don't see somebody that young being the leader leader of, of all these men. That's just my guess, though. Uh, also, Joab had two brothers. Uh, we see that in chapter two, verse eighteen. It says the three sons of Zeruah, Remember that's David's sisters. Three sons of Zeruiah were were Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was swift as foot on a foot as a wild gazelle. So Asahel is probably the youngest. Because he's listed third there, uh, he was pretty quick on his feet, it sounds like. And if you were to look, I, if, if you ever looked in, and did a study in in in, uh, in Second Samuel in chapter twenty three, there's a passage there that talks about David's mighty men. Now these were these were men who had followed David, probably even during the time of Saul when David was fleeing, was on the run. He had some. Some mighty men that did did a lot of things, and it, and it talks about some of them, some of the things he did, and how many people, how many of the Philistines they killed, and how many great mighty warriors that they 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 slew. And um, among them were Joab's two brothers, uh, Asahel and and uh, Abishai. So they were mentioned there. Joab wasn't mentioned there, but we know he was he was among them too. Um, some other notable people that were in there would be Uriah the Hittite. He was one of the... Uh, ben was another one. Uh, Ben-Aniah comes in later and is the captain of the army for David's son Solomon. Um, so, um, and we see that the events in Joab's life, they can stretch all the way through the second book of Samuel and into the first two chapters of First Kings. And since we don't have time to read all the scripture today, uh, I kind of, narrowed it down to seven events in the life of Joab that can give us a little bit of an idea of his character, and we're going to quickly go over them today. Uh, the list of those is Abner, Ammon in Syria, Uriah, Absalom, Amasa, David's census, and Adonijah. Seven, seven events we're going to talk about today quickly. Uh, we'll start here right at the beginning there with Abner, 2 Samuel 2.12. Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Manaheim to Gibeon. And Joab the son of Zeruah and the servants of David went out to meet them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. So you have the two captains, the two generals of these two armies, one from the Israel underneath what Saul's son, Ishbosheth, and we have the other men of David's men led by Joab. The two decided to send the, uh, 12 representatives from each side to see who would prevail. And they went out, and I, it kind of, to me, it looks like they may have went out into the pool at Gibeon there. And uh, it was a quick, quick little battle there. Basically, each one of the 12 from each side grabbed one and the other and basically stabbed each other and all 24 died all at once. Um, but after this, uh, Joab's army then began chasing Abner's army. And during the battle... Asahel, which remember was one of Joab's brothers, the one who was swift of foot, he began to chase Abner. Uh, Abner being the experienced older general, he warns Asahel, the younger guy, who's chasing him, says, Hey, you need to turn to the side one way or the other. Quit chasing me. And he did this twice. He warned him twice. uh, Because Abner didn't want to kill him. He said, I would really don't know how I'd even look on the face of Joab if I had to kill you. But uh, asahel would not stop chasing uh so Abner did a little spear trick uh probably as he was running he probably took running with his spear he took the spear and stuck it into the ground which made it pretty solid and Abner probably ran right into it and it went all the way through Abner or, i'm sorry Ab, all the way through uh, asahel and he died and uh after that so and it happened in battle so it was. An honorable way to die, I guess, if you had to pick a way. It was an honorable way. Uh, and after that event, Abner then called to Joab and says, Hey, we're brethren, why are you chasing us? So Joab blows the trumpet, and the chase is called off. Everybody goes back to their homes. Uh, but there are a lot of more battles between Judah and Israel over the next couple of years until King Ishbosheth accuses Abner, who is his general, of sleeping with one of his father Saul's concubines. This makes Abner mad. And he cha- changes his allegiance from being uh, with Ishbosheth, king of Israel, to David, king of Judah. So then Abner works to bring the rest of the tribes to join Judah and make David their king, which he is successful at. David becomes king over all of Israel uh, eventually. But uh, in the process of this, uh, Joab, who is being the man he is, he seeks to take revenge and uh, also to extinguish any threat to his position as the leader of the army. Because now, since Israel's army and Judah's army have been combined, Abner, you know, he was he was a general. Joab, he's a general. Well, they're going to combine, and one of them is going to be over the other one. Joab's not going to let Abner be the lead of the, the army. So he, he kind of nonchalantly says, Hey, Abner, why don't you come over here? I'll talk to you. puts his arm around him, stabs him in the side, kills him. Uh, it's a pretty slick move, I guess. Um, but uh, so, Abner, and, and the thing was, he also, you know, it was done, and the Bible says it was done in revenge of Abner killing Joab's uh, brother. But uh, David... Had a response to that. He said afterward, in Second Samuel three twenty eight says afterward, when David heard of it, he said, "I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house, and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or is leprous or holds a, sp- a spindle or who falls by the sword or who, who lacks bread." Uh, so. Uh, and Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle of him. So David, um, I don't know, you might say his, his, his response is a little weak. Uh, for, for the, I mean, uh, Joab basically murdered Abner. Uh, and Abner had become, come peacefully to David and, and Abner had been the one who was responsible for bringing both all the tribes together uh, underneath David. Uh, so David, he puts a curse on the house of his nephews, but there's also a, a concern that David has. In verse 39, it says, of chapter 3, it says, And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruah, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. So I think from this, David has a little fear. He fears that even though he's the king and has been anointed the king over all of Israel, Joab has a very great influence over the army, and he's reluctant to harshly discipline his general and instead would prefer to leave it up to God. Uh, Even when Joab is doing something evil, or at least we would call it unethical, David will get some benefit from it. So David's getting some benefit from even what Joab does a lot of times uh, when Joab goes out and he... Does something that's that's contrary to what David has told him to do. Um, for example, later on, the Ammonites have enlisted to help from Syria to defeat Israel, and David finds out about this and sends Joab and the army to fight. Joab is a very good military commander, of course, and he's you know he's got a lot of experience as a soldier, been doing it since he was young, and so Joab divides his army between himself and his brother Abishai. And uh, this, this is actually a good example of, of the faith that Joab has in God during the, during the battle. 2 Samuel 10:11 through 14 says, And he said, If the Syrians are stru- too strong for me, then you shall come and help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for, for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. When the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. Now I see this as a really good example of, of Joab's faith. He prepared himself, put himself in a place to be successful, and then to let the Lord make it happen. Uh, there's a movie, it's... Uh, it's a few years old, but it's called Facing the Giants. That's a Christian movie. Uh, talk about a football team uh, and how they—they—I uh, don't know. Maybe some of you have seen it. But one there's there's a there's a scene in there where uh, a, a man comes in and and he's he's telling the coach he's like, you know, there's there's two farmers, and he said, and it was it was a drought time, and one of the farmers prays for rain, but he doesn't do anything about it. The other farmer prays for rain, and then he plants his crops. He's preparing for God to, uh, you know, to take care of the problem. Whereas the other one was just praying for rain. Um, so that that shows the faith, the better faith of the, the one farmer who was actually uh, planted his crops and prepared for the rain. Um, so one of the more familiar stories in the Bible, and probably many of you are. Uh, Heard it several times. I have. Uh, it's David's sin with Bathsheba, and the resulting murder of her husband Uriah the Hittite. Joab was the one here who actually carried out the order for Uriah to be placed in the worst part of the battle and to be killed. Um, so in this case, I think it's it's interesting how so many times that Joab doesn't follow orders or does something on his own accord. Uh, interesting to hear he actually followed the orders. Well, in this instance, um, I think probably there wasn't as much to to gain from from uh, Uriah being killed, so uh, it wasn't as, as much of an issue for for Joab to do that. And we go on to the next the next event uh, involving Absalom. This Absalom is probably the most complex story that we'll talk about today. Uh, reveals much about the character of Joab and of David. So after David's son Absalom kills his half-brother Amnon uh, for raping his sister Tamar, David becomes furious about this, of course, and Absalom then flees to his grandparents in Uh, Geshur. Absalom's mother is the daughter of the king of Geshur, so that's why he went there. Uh, Joab knows that David, though over time... Uh, he's forgiven Absalom and comes up with a plan to get David to bring Absalom back to Jerusalem uh, by using a wise woman to speak with, with the king. And through this process, David agrees to bring Absalom back, but he doesn't really want to speak with him. Uh, this is, by the way, a mistake. It only shows partial reconciliation. Uh, you know, if, if he really wanted to bring Absalom back and have full reconciliation with Absalom, forgiveness, showing forgiveness, he should have brought him back and talked to him right away. So uh, Absalom comes back, and after two years of living in back in Jerusalem, uh, without actually seeing his father, not being allowed to see the king, he gets fed up with this, and he wants to talk to his father because he says he would have been better off staying with his grandparents. Uh, Joab wouldn't come when, when Absalom calls for him to say, hey, I want to talk to the king. Uh, so jo- So Absalom says, hey. Job's field's right next to mine. Why don't you go set it on fire? So he tells the servants to set Job's field on fire to get his attention. Um, and so uh, Job says, "What'd you do that for?" And he's like, "Well, if you would have just came to me when I asked you to come, I want to go see my my father." And so finally, they they allow that to happen. Absalom goes to his father. They reconcile. Uh, David actually kisses his son um, and shows his forgiveness there. But. Uh, Absalom then sees, because Absalom's a pretty good-looking guy, it says in the Bible, uh, and he sees many of the people will come to him for judgment instead of going to his father for advice and judgment. So he uses his good looks to his advantage and starts to gain support to usurp the throne from David. And Absalom gets Amasa, who was also David's nephew by his other sister, to lead an army. So now we have Absalom and his cousin Amasa and his cousin Joab. They're all three first cousins, um, and they're going to be involved in a civil war there in Is- Israel. And during this case, David flees from Jerusalem and tells his men not to kill Absalom. Um, in 2 Samuel 8, 18 5, it says, And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai deal, deal, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. Uh, However, Joab, once again going on what he thinks his his own best uh, thing is, he rejects this order, kills his cousin Absalom, who becomes tangled in his tree by his long hair. Um, In this case, I think it's interesting how Joab supported bringing back Absalom earlier, to Jerusalem to reconcile to David, but now has turned against him and killed him against the king's wishes. David is very upset with the death of his son, of course, and Joab tells him to get up, make an appearance before his men, or risk losing his army. Because it's going to be a lot worse, if that happens, than any of the things that have ever happened to you up to this point. But to what Joab tells David, Uh, David does so, and the next order of business is to get back the rest of the kingdom that has followed Absalom. Because, Like I said, civil war, kingdom has been divided. Absalom took some of the the people, some of the people stayed with David. Uh, Now he needs to bring them all back underneath one kingdom, underneath David. Uh, One of the ways he does this is by making Amasa. Amasa was the one who went with Absalom and was head of that army. He says, Amasa, won't you come and be the new general over all the army of Israel. Um, So he says that would be a good way to kind of do some reconciliation. And he demotes Joab, probably because Joab has defied his orders of not to kill Absalom. Uh, Well, how do you think Joab takes this? Well, not very well. He goes up to his cousin Amasa and grabs him. By the beard says, says, hey, come up here, grabs him by the beard to give him a kiss. And as he does that, he stabs him, cuts him wide open, and leaves him in the road to die. Second Samuel 29, 29 says, And Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach and spilled his entrails on the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bershai. So that was the battle that was going on there. Um, so as they're, they're in this battle and the men are walking by and seeing the bottom of Massa on the road there, they, they stop and they look at it. and They say, well, if we're for Joab and if we're for David, then I guess we'll follow Joab. Um, so you can tell there that now the army is, you know, Joab is full control over the army. They, they'll do anything he tells them. Uh, they know that if they don't, or if they cross him, basically they're going to end up like this guy that's on the ro- side of the road here. Um, and David knows that he has little control over Joab at this time when it comes to the army. Uh, and I think David, in this case, after 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 all these events that have happened over all the years, David uh, has gained little respect for the counsel of Joab either. Uh, because when Joab actually does tell him something good, uh, David... Goes against it. Goes against that council. Uh, example of this we'll find near the end of David's life. David wants to take a census of the people. Uh, he wants to just know how many people, how many fighting men he's got there in Israel. Uh, Joab, though, advises against it. Uh, because he says, "Don't we shouldn't worry about how many people you've got, how many fighting men you've got, because God is taking care of, all, taking care of you. It doesn't matter. But David tells him to do so anyway, and Joab follows the orders this time. Um, The result is a punishment from God of a three-day plague that kills 70,000 people in Israel. So why did Joab follow orders this time? I don't know. It seems, though, that Joab could flip an on-off switch on his moral and ethical behavior whenever he he needed it to. It was depending on uh, what he felt would benefit himself the most. Uh, and, this, and this is in his position of authority over the armies of Judah and Israel. Well, it seems that his loyalty to David was at times—I think it was just a coincidence—that it happened to align and be, you know, be be good with what Joab felt would benefit him the most. Also, so if if David was benefiting from something that Joab did, it was only because Joab felt well he could benefit from it too. Uh, one example of this was when he was in favor to bring back, back Absalom to Jerusalem until Absalom appointed Amasa over his army, and he turned against him. Uh, he could quickly get rid of rivals that would take his place as commander of the army. Abner and Amasa, the two examples. And in his final mistake, Joe's final mistake, he would remove his allegiance from David because he thought he would be able to stay in command of the army. And, and 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 you know exalt his position. David, however, had already determined that Saul, Solomon, his son, would take his place as king after David. But Joab, he decided to join instead with David's son Adonijah. And you see this in 1 Kings one, five. It says now Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And verse 6, it says, His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done this? And so, he was also a very handsome man. He was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with Abathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. So, David finds out about this, and he quickly and wisely has Solomon, anointed to be king in front of the people, um, has Solomon ride on his mule, Says, you know, and so they... So then it's, the people recognized then that Solomon is the one who's going to be the next king. Um, uh, and it's, he, he wisely uh, did that so that it just would stop the the the, uh, the movement of, of making Agenijah king uh, right there. Um, so now Solomon is going to be king. David has a few instructions for Solomon. Here's what you should do. And he tells him, Here's what you should do to Joab. It says in 1 Kings 2:5, it says, Moreover, you also know what Joab the son of Zeruah did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on a belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down. Sheol and peace. So the king who Joab has served his whole life had him killed as one of his last instructions from his deathbed. Now, why did this all happen? Well, it happened because of Joab's pride. He put himself above the law on multiple occasions, leaning on his own intelligence and his own interests instead of obeying his God-given authority. Joab largely served God, normally obey his king but doing right most of the time is not good enough so I have some lessons here from the life of Joab I have three, three lessons here it says first one is you reap what you sow uh, we can find evidence of this uh, being taught throughout the throughout the scriptures Galatians 6 7 and eight says do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, like I said, this principle is taught clearly throughout Scripture. If Joab had just been a little bit more merciful during his life, David and Solomon perhaps would have been more merciful to him. But they, they used his own standard to punish him in the end. In Matthew 26:52, Jesus said, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Of course, this is what he told Peter when Peter pulled out a sword when Jesus was being arrested and cut off uh, the ear of, of, of one of the servants. And this verse in Matthew is also true about Joab. He was not a peace-loving person. At times he could have chosen peace, but instead he chose violence. Jesus said that blessed are the peacemakers. Violence and revenge could be a swift and easy solution to to problems, what Joab thought. But God calls us to take a higher ground. And that means showing mercy even when it's not deserved. Joab Joab could have chosen to serve mercy to Absalom, Abner, or Amasa, and he didn't. Then finally, he didn't receive any mercy either. And I know, uh, I'm sure that we've all had an opportunity to choose forgiveness or mercy or over judgment and revenge at some time. And at least for me, it's usually whichever one I think will work out best for me, honestly. I can be just like Joab in this sense. I've never, really, no, I mean, I've never physically murdered anyone for revenge or anything that bad, but I'm sure that there were times when I wanted to see harm come to somebody, even if it was only in thought. I mean, how many times do I wish that that person who just cut me off in traffic would just go off the road into the ditch or something, you know? Uh, you know, and Jesus says this kind of thinking is the same as physically hurting someone. So we need to always think about that uh, next time we're choosing uh, between forgiveness and revenge or mercy and judgment. Uh, the second thing I think we can learn from life of, that, of Joab His good counsel can come from unexpected places. Joab is perhaps not the first person you would think of turning to to ask advice from. Uh, You know, he had a a reputation of being a scoundrel. But yet on multiple occasions, God did speak through him. In the case of the census, for example, 70,000 people could have been saved if David were to listen to Joab. The high priest during Jesus' life even prophesied without knowing it. and John 11:49 through 52 says, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for, for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one of the children of God who are scattered abroad. So, Caiaphas, the high priest during the time of Jesus, he wanted to see Jesus dead, and he prophesied about that. Uh, the thing was, the thing he was prophesying was actually uh, God's plan in the first place—that that you know, not only the nation of Israel, but all people could be saved. Um, so while believers should seek counsel from godly sources, it's still a good idea to keep our ears and eyes open if other people take initiative to counsel us. You know, we should always compare that counseling. To uh, what is in God's word, because you kind of got to use that, you know, you do have to use that as your standard. But it could be that, that God has even used an unbeliever to share with us a nugget of wisdom that could help us. And finally, number three, uh, in the things we can learn from the life of Joab, says submit to the authority, especially of the authority of God. Joab, you know, we know he was loyal to David, but he had a little bit of a problem submitting to his authority all the time. Sometimes it just seems that Joab was convinced his own way was better, and he couldn't bring himself to do, do it David's way. And that is pride. Um, and we know a pride uh, is what led to the very first sins uh, of, 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 of Satan, is what the Bible says. That's was, that was where sin started, was by pride. You know, God establishes authority. It's a chain of command. He does this for a reason. God has established authority in the family, in the church, and even in government. He makes it clear who's in charge in every situation. He calls some to lead, some to follow. And the reason he puts some in place of authority is not necessarily because they're always smarter, always wiser, or always right. But even so, he still calls us to obey our leaders. And this is what makes an orderly society and a godly society. Without established authorities, the world would revert back to the time of the judges. And it says at the beginning of the book of Judges and at the end of the book of Judges, it said every person did what was right in their own eyes. And when every person is doing what's right in their own eyes, they're probably not doing what is right in God's eyes. And that's one thing we should always remember. Um. So as a close today, you know, the first thing we need to always do if we're going to uh, submit. To the, to the authority of God is we need to submit to the authority of Jesus as our Savior. course um, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and we got to get that part taken care of first before we can uh, ever be effective in serving God. And I would uh, give an invitation to anyone who has never done that. Uh, today is a great day for that to happen. If you've never uh, accepted Jesus as your Savior... But uh, um, as we close here, I guess we need to go get Josh. Uh, so as we close here, we'll close in prayer, and then we'll we'll get another song for, for worship, and then we'll all be dismissed. Uh, thanks for putting up with me over the last couple weeks. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, I mean, it's always my privilege to, to talk to, to, to the church about God's word, and... I'm not the best public speaker. Sometimes I get to rattle off stuff real fast, like I probably did today, because I knew I had a lot of stuff to get done. But uh, I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to do this. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for for the great things that we can learn from your word. Uh, and uh, Lord, I, I pray that uh, that it will we will all make it a